Good morning, Crawford Avenue. Good morning. All right. My name is Anthony Pritchard. As they mentioned earlier in the service, I serve here as a ministry assistant, and uh, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning and uh, love to be with you Sunday mornings as we worship together. It uh, got brought to my attention in our bulletin, this is a little side note, that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, which we've only got a couple, a handful of days left of October, and as they mentioned earlier, I've served as a ministry assistant here and have just been encouraged by the pastors here, their love for the Lord, their love for ministry, and especially their love for you, a love for you as I've helped them with uh, pastoral care and just have seen the way that they speak about this flock here um, tenderly and uh, lovingly. And so, if you could, find a pastor after the service and just thank them uh, for their service here. I know these guys... Uh, work hard and eagerly to serve the church here, and so um, we appreciate them and thank the Lord for appointing them here. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Exodus 32, so turn to Exodus 32. If you don't have one, there should be one provided for you in the little bin under the chairs in the rows up front of you. You can grab one of those, and if you're looking for our text in that Bible, you can find it on page 72 and 73. So Exodus 32. I wasn't sure if I was hearing ringing. So we just got through a series of sermons uh, that Bert had preached looking at the life of Abraham. And one of the things that we saw in the life of Abraham was that it can be very hard to wait on the Lord. Abraham was given a promise that he would have an offspring, and that he would be a father to a great nation in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Now, God was faithful to this promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah, but it took time to come about. If you read the story of Abraham, you probably can knock it out in a sitting or two, uh, but oftentimes what we don't realize is that there was many years that had to pass between the promise of a son and then the birth of Isaac. So, in waiting, as we saw through the sermon series, Abraham and his wife thought of other plans, other solutions to fulfill the promise. And we do this often too, don't we? We turn to other solutions, we turn to other plans when we have to wait. And thereby doing, we sin against God rather than trusting him and the promises that he has made. So you might be here sitting uh, in a season of constant suffering, uh, day by day, blow after blow, you just continue to get bad news after bad news. And you think to yourself, well, surely God isn't doing anything in my life right now. I mean, this suffering is so constant. It's probably more evidence that he's gone. He's out of my life. I don't see him working in any way. And then we often turn away from trusting him and turn to other things that will fulfill our desires. Our passage this morning, Exodus 32, starts off with the people waiting for God. In their waiting, they become impatient, they seek their own solutions, and then they sin against God in a very big way. But what I want us to see this morning, what I want us to see in Exodus 32 is that God is a God of mercy. He is so merciful to his people in this chapter 
And God is merciful in that he has provided his people with a mediator who speaks on their behalf, sinners before a holy God. So that's going to be the theme of our text this morning. We'll consider our text in four sections, uh, with this first starting in verses 1 through 10. So verses 1 through 10. And in this section, we see a covenant broken and God's response. So our first point this morning, a covenant broken and God's response. Now to understand this, it's really, it's helpful for us to kind of understand where the book of Exodus has brought us up to, up to this point. You get a little bit more information on the context of what's going on. So some of you are familiar with the story of Exodus. It starts in the land of Egypt. Uh, God's people are now enslaved there after generations. And God hears their cry, and he sees their suffering that they're enduring. And he delivers them from Egypt. And he does this in magnificent ways. He shows his mighty hand and his great power, not only over creation, but he does so even over the power over men's hearts. He also does this through appointing a leader, Moses, who leads them out of Egypt, out through the wilderness, and all the way to the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. It's at Mount Sinai in chapter 20 that God speaks to his people. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Many of us are familiar with those. And a, a few chapters later in chapter 24, this is really important, God's people make a covenant with him. After giving them the commandments, they commit to the Lord to obey his commandments. And at the end of chapter 24, if they've committed themselves to the Lord, promised themselves to him, verse 18 says, Quote, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So God calls Moses to meet up with him on the mountain, and then chapters from 24 all the way to 31 up until our text encapsulates 40 days and 40 nights of instructions to Moses. But in Exodus 32, as we see, the people are waiting for something. The people are waiting for the Lord and waiting for Moses to return. So look with me at Exodus 32. We'll first look at verses 1 through 6, and I'll read them. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses... The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we, don't know, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in, your ear, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. So Israel has been waiting for Moses for 40 days and 40 nights. And they've been waiting for him to hear from the Lord again. But in waiting, 
the people break their covenant that they've made with God back in Exodus 24. And they do this by disobeying his commands, clearly the commands that he has given them in Exodus 20 through the Ten Commandments. They create an idol, they cast it in the image of a calf, and they worship it by giving it offerings. Not only that, in our text we see in verse 4, it says, They, the people of Israel, said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So not only do the people disobey the commands given by God, but they also go against the truth of their, their deliverance and the truth that God spoke before giving the commands in Exodus 22. Namely, that he, God, is the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, a house of slavery. So the people of God break their covenant. They break their promise and their commitment to the Lord, which then leads to God's response. And God's response, we see, is in verse 7 through 10. As you look, God tells Moses to return his, to his people because he's, they have broken their covenant with him. And the first thing that I want us to see in the text is that God knows everything that is going on at the base of the mountain. You see it there in verse 7 and 8. God tells Moses everything that the people have done. So even though God is meeting with Moses at the top of the mountain, God knows the idol worship that is going on at the base. So much so that he even quotes the exact same words that Israel says in verse 4 to Moses in verse 8. That these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I wanted us to look at this first because this shows us that nothing is hidden from God. I think this is especially convicting for myself and for us because isn't it so easy to try to hide sin? Take bitterness as an example, an expression of anger. You can absolutely despise somebody, right? And they have no sense, no idea, a clue that you're harboring this anger and bitterness. And as they continue to annoy you or ignore you, it just brews and brews higher and higher and hotter and hotter. And it just wants to explode, right? Now, I'm not saying that the people here in our text were trying to hide their worship from God. They were trying to hide from him, or they were not trying to. But we see in our text that while God is with Moses up on the mountain, he's there with his people too, seeing and hearing their songs, seeing and hearing their sin against them. His response to their sin can be seen in verse 10, and I'll read. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So in verse 10, God is ready to wipe out his people from the face of the earth. This is awful news that Moses hears. And he's doing this because they've sinned against him. And we see that this shows a very seriousness of sin against God. Now, some people may read this and think, well, this is, this is kind of overboard, right? Like a whole people? You're just going to destroy them all? And again, I say... This shows the seriousness of sin against God. Their sin is against a holy and perfect and just God. And not only that, 
God also has been gracious enough to them to deliver them out of Egypt, out of their slavery and out of their suffering. So God here in our text, he's ready to start all over. And we see at the end of verse 10, he's ready to start over with just Moses. I will get rid of them all. They've sinned against me. They have broken my covenant. I've been faithful to them. I've brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to start back with you. You are going to be my guy now. It's a terrible, terrifying thing to think about the Lord's hot anger against sin. Well, from this terrifying situation, we move on to our next point, which can be seen in verses 11 through 14. In 11, 14, 11 through 14, we see Moses interceding and God being merciful. It's our second point. Moses intercedes and God is merciful. I'll read. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses' response in this section is to respond to God's wrath, and he's about to pour out his wrath on Israel by imploring him. Now, imploring is like begging or pleading. Moses sees this terrible situation that his people are in, and he begs the Lord to relent from his anger. One of the things, or two of the things that I want to see from Moses' response and his pleading um, is first, that Moses appeals to God's glory to the nations. We see this in verse 12, look with me. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Then he pleads, turn from your burning anger and relent from disaster against your people. Moses begs God to turn away from his anger because the Egyptians in this text will see that the Lord is evil. They will think that this God that has brought them out of Egypt is now bringing them to a mountain to be killed. Now, this would obviously be a misunderstanding on the Egyptians' part, correct? Because in his judgment, in his wrath, it's just. Right? This is not unfounded. This is not overboard. They've broken the covenant with the Lord. And so he is just and right if he decides to wipe out Israel and just start again with Moses. But Moses begs God to relent because he has a concern for his people and because he has a concern for God's reputation among the nations. Egypt knew Egypt knew that the Lord was powerful. They experienced his plagues. They saw his mighty hand in delivering them out of Egypt. But Moses is pleading with God not to give them an opportunity to doubt his goodness. The second thing that Moses does in his appeal 
is to ask God to remember his covenant with his people, namely to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. Moses asks God in verse 13, the first word we see there is remember. Lord, remember your covenant that you've made with your people. This is something that we've seen throughout the book of Exodus, that God is a God who remembers. We saw that in our sermon series with Abraham. In their waiting, God was faithful and remembered his covenant to Abraham. There's a couple passages that I'll read in Exodus that show this. Uh, Exodus 2, 24 through 25 reads, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Also in Exodus 6, 2 through 5, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. This is encouraging news that our Lord, our God, is a God who remembers his covenants. And not only is he a God who remembers them, but he's faithful to them. We saw that again in our series through Abraham, but we also see this in verse 14. God turns away from his anger and spares Israel. Even in the midst of their breaking of the covenant with him, sinning against him, falling short, God is faithful to his promises. Moses here is an example for us. Here, one of the commentators, a quote, he says, Moses' appeal is not to some accumulated deposit of merit, which can be tapped, but to the promise of God himself. Moses does not attempt to excuse or mitigate Israel's sin, but he seeks to overcome it by falling back ultimately on what God can do in making a future possible. End of quote. So Moses falls back on the promises of God. He appeals to God for the sake of his people. So I ask, when, when we become aware of our sins, when we are face to face with our sins, where do we go? Where will you go in the face of your sins? Will you run to decades of church membership? Will you run to your abstinence from high school parties or mission trips that you've gone to and say, see, Lord, I've, I've served you. I've, I've gained merit. What we see from Moses is that we shouldn't do those things. From Moses, we see that we are to run to the promises of God when we are faced with our sin. I've often failed at this, and I need this teaching just as much as anybody. Um, but I don't know where I would be without a text. I've been encouraged by one of Bert's sermons in the Psalms. It was Psalm 86, and one of the applications of Psalm 86 was to get a text. David in the Psalm clings to Exodus 33 in his, in his Psalm to the Lord. And I'm encouraged by this too. We need to get a text. We need to hold on to a promise. And I don't know where my life would be if I didn't have 1 John 1.9. If you know me, I've probably talked about this text plenty of times. 
But it reads, if we confess our sins, he, being Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, this text changes my life day to day. I need this text. And I encourage you this morning to run to passages, run to passages that confirm and show you the beauty and the grace that's behind the promises that God has made in the person of Jesus. I think it's helpful for us to think about these passages like an anchor for your soul. The deeper and deeper you see the extent of your sin, hold fast to these promises that you have in the Lord. And you'll see as these go deeper and deeper, your sin being more broader and broader than you've seen before, that as you hold fast, although this extent is bigger than you saw before, the strength of God's promises and his forgiveness in your life is all the stronger. So hold on to these promises. I encourage you to listen to that sermon and, and grab a text. Uh, I encourage you, use 1 John 1.9. It certainly has been uh, an anchor for my soul in many times. Next in our passage this morning, we see that Moses then confronts Israel. And this is seen from verses 15 and stretches all the way to verse 29. In this section, Moses now comes down from the mountain as he's heard from the Lord, and he's carrying two tablets uh, that have the commands that God has given him from Sinai, and they were written with his hand. And as he approaches the camp, he meets up with Joshua, and they hear a noise from the camp. Joshua thinks, this sounds like war. I think there's a battle going on. But Moses knows that this is the sound of singing and worship. So in the next verse, Moses sees the idol and the worship at the base of the mountain and immediately breaks the tablets from God, which this is a symbol of the breaking of the covenant that the people have done to the Lord. Moses then goes and destroys the golden calf. And then in verse 21, he confronts Aaron. Let me read in verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You will know, the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any of you, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Moses confronts Aaron about his sin here in this text. And what we see in this text is Aaron is very, very quick to defer, right? He's very, very quick to shift the blame off of himself. He blames the people of God for the golden calf. And then he appeals to Moses about how the people are always bent on evil. He takes all of his responsibility out in verse 24 when he makes the statement that he just threw the gold into the fire and then out came out of this, this golden calf as if he didn't fashion it and provide its construction. So it's silly for us to think about this, right? Because we know that he was very responsible for this sin. But what I want us to see is that there is a contrast here 
between Moses and Aaron. Can you see it? The contrast between Moses and Aaron is all throughout this chapter, but we see it here first. Aaron in this text tries to save his own skin, right? When confronted with his sin, he tries to defer and shift the blame somewhere else. Now, this is contrasted to Moses, right? Because as we've seen in this section before, Moses begs for the lives of his people. And Adam just wants to get off clean, right? But Moses intercedes for his people. And in this, we see how they're contrasted. This action of Aaron, when I was reading this, kind of reminded me of Adam in the garden. If you can recall, uh, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. And what did Adam do immediately when God was confronting them with their sin? This is the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit, right? He shifts blame. And this is, this is as early as the fall in the, in the word. So he blames Eve and he blames God. And all his, point, all his fingers point outward. Not a single finger points to himself. And we see this in Aaron too in this sense. He shifts the blame to the people. But Moses, as we saw in this section before, intercedes for his people. Now again, we might look at this and say, well, yeah, that Aaron guy is pretty crazy. I wish uh, maybe my friend Alex were here because he's like that a lot. He likes to, you know, shift blame and defer things. But what's key to this is that this is true of ourselves too, isn't it? We're quick to defer the blame of our sin to anything but ourselves, especially, especially in our circumstances. We're as quick to, to give the reason for our sin to the circumstances that we have in life. Now, this is for everyone. Everyone can struggle with this. Everyone can be tempted with this. But as I think about this text, I especially think about myself, and I think about men in this room. Aaron here is a figure of leadership for the people of Israel. And men here were leaders in our marriages. We are to be leaders in our families. And for some who hold pastoral positions, leaders in the church, men, lay leaders, deacons, we are to be leaders in the areas of our lives. And as men, we will be tempted to blame our wives. We will be tempted to blame our kids. We will be tempted to blame our congregations for our shortcomings rather than, our own, or rather than own up and repent before the Lord. So I encourage everyone, right? Let's not be molded like Aaron. Let's follow Moses' example here. And especially for the men, let us not defer our bl or the blame for our sin like Adam and Aaron, but let us own up to it and confess to the Lord. Next we see our section uh, moves to verses 25 through 29. Moses confronts Israel again in this section, uh, but this time there is a judgment on the people. In verse 26, Moses calls from the gate of the camp for those who, quote, who are on the side of the Lord. And all the men of the tribe of Levi come to the gate, and Moses gives them an order. He gives them an order from the Lord to go throughout the camp and to kill, quote, his brother 
and his companion and his neighbor. And then, at the end of this section, Moses blesses the sons of Levi. This passage is a difficult passage to understand in our text this morning. Because it seems like in 11 through 14, right, God had relented from his disaster that he was going to bring on the people. So in verse 14, God has relented. But now in our section, we see 3,000 men now have been killed because of their sin. So, so a question is that. So a good question to ask is how is God merciful and relenting when people seem to have been judged according to their sin in this text? I think it's first helpful to be reminded that in this text we see again another emphasis on the seriousness of sin against the Lord. Sin against the Lord is not a light or passing thing, but it is a humongous offense to our Creator. The second thing that I think is helpful for us to remember is that God was ready to get rid of everyone and start with just one person, Moses. Just to give us an idea of, of numbers that we're talking about, if you look back at Exodus 12, verse 37, it says, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, end of quote. So there were 600,000 men that were brought out of Egypt, now at the base of the mountain. And God was ready, God was ready in section 11 through 14 to wipe them all out. 6,000 men down to one. He was going to redo everything. He was going to start over with Moses. And so though many men died, 3,000 of them, I think the thrust of the text still shows that God is merciful to his people. God is a merciful God to Israel. You can tie this passage to the last verse in our chapter where it says, Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron had made. Again, we see God is merciful because God spares Israel. He was bent on destroying all of them, and we see in our text uh, that he spares their lives, that they are still a people. This moves us to our last section in our text this morning, and this is in verses 30 through 34. So verses 30 through 34, we see again that Moses again intercedes and God is merciful. So again, verses 30 through 34, Moses intercedes and God is merciful. This is the same point that we made in verses 11 through 14. And this chapter seems to be sandwiched or bookended by Moses' confrontation with Israel and it's sandwiched between Moses' intercession. And I think this is intentional. Let me read this section starting in verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please lead out 
blot out me, blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Moses here goes up the next day to meet with God to see if there can be atonement for the sins of Israel. And, And Moses is with God. And he doesn't sugarcoat their sins again. Doesn't sugarcoat what the people have done against God. But what I want us to see again, as we saw in verse 11 through 14, uh, that well, I want to see what Moses offers up in this text. So in verse 32, I read, But now if you will forgive their sin, and here it is, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses here offers up his life for his people. His love is displayed in his willingness to die for them so that they may be forgiven. Recall back to Aaron, right, and his response to Moses. Aaron was ready, quick, to throw the people under the bus to try to save his own skin, right? But Moses here offers his life for the people and their forgiveness, As we're thinking about Moses and his actions, and we're thinking about comparisons and contrasting things, we see here how Jesus, Jesus is a greater and better Moses, amen? Moses in this text offers his life for the people that they may be forgiven. But we know that Jesus is the great shepherd who offers up his life for his sheep and the sheep not of this fold in John 10 verses 11 through 18, thus including Gentiles, thus including most of us, right? Moses, he seeks to atone for the sins of his people and the sin of the golden calf. But Jesus secures atonement for the sins of the whole world by dying as a sacrifice once for all, as we see in Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 18. And we see Moses, he intercedes as a mediator for his people, for their sins. But Jesus, Jesus lives to make intercession in Hebrews 7 for his people. And not only that, he is a mediator of a new covenant that was purchased by his blood in Hebrews 9. As we come to the end of our text this morning, we see that there's a seriousness behind, this, behind sin against God, that there's a seriousness behind the sin of the golden calf. Moses intercedes for his people by appealing to God's glory among the nations and appealing to his promises. And ultimately, he's willing to offer up his life. But God does not strike him here. So I encourage you, let us trust in the Lord like Moses, who knows God to be a merciful God. Let us trust in his mercy and his promises. For you who are confronted with your sin, whether you are a believer here this morning or an unbeliever in the face of this vast ocean of your unrighteousness, uncleanliness, 
Would you run? Would you fall back on the promises of God in the person of Jesus Christ? Would you hold on to an anchor, not on your own merit, but on the merits of Christ? And I encourage you to rest in it. Rest in promises like 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are a merciful God. You are merciful to your people in Exodus 32, relenting from your anger. And God, you're merciful to your people who put their faith and trust in you. God, there are some here, Lord, that feel crushed under the weight of their sin. And there are some here that are blind to it, who feel as if there is no sin in their life at all. God, would you show us your promises that you have in the person and work of Jesus? God, that he gave up his life for his sheep. God, and that if we press into him, press into the gospel to trust him, to repent of our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful to his promises and he will be faithful to us to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray.